Good morning, Chief End Podcast Episode 2. Hope you guys had a good weekend. It is Monday morning, fresh off of a another uh, Sunday at church, and armed with a ton of fresh uh, thoughts on what is plaguing evangelicalism and what is hamstringing its effectiveness in the world around us. Uh, what became readily apparent this Sunday while sitting uh, in service listening to the sermon again was, I actually tweeted it out as well. I wonder if anybody follows me from church and actually knows that these tweets are related to the actual church service. Um, maybe the couple people who might see me poking out the tweet while I am sitting in the pew, maybe they're attuned to that, but maybe people timestamp it. Maybe I'm going to get church disciplined, I don't know, uh, for tweeting during the service. Although some churches would want you to tweet during the service because they would think it is cool and relevant and, you know, probably would they'd give you a specific hashtag, like you could hashtag whatever your tweet was. Um, to match their church branding, but <laughs> uh, the thing that became readily apparent this Sunday uh, is, and it's the title of this podcast, making mountains out of molehills in order to avoid the actual mountains, and it's something that just jumped, it was like, that should have been the title of this dude's sermon, um, you know, he's in Romans talking about the weaker conscience and not eating meat and do you eat meat and not offending the brother and, you know, striving to have unity in the body. And I've been hearing these arguments going on. Uh, let's see, what's 2017, 1996? So 21 years I've been hearing these arguments. I mean, back in the 90s, it was, you know, can I smoke a cigar and be a Christian? Or what if that offends my roommate's conscience? Or can I drink a beer? Can I see an R-rated movie? And, you know, we, we would spend, I remember, I remember being 19, 20 years old and we would spend, you know, hours, entire evenings sitting around arguing whether or not we could smoke a cigar or whether or not we could have an alcoholic drink. Hours, hours on end. And those conversations would carry over to the next day. And, you know, they'd linger for weeks and we'd come back with more ammo. And, well, this professor said this. And, well, this Christian guy says this. And this commentary says that. And it seemed so important and like, oh, man, the, the you know, balance of the world was going to be determined by uh, our, our answer to this question. And meanwhile, you know, there were probably several hundred homeless people starving, going without a meal that day. Uh, you know, there were probably several hundred, if not a couple thousand orphans in the foster care system uh, getting abused or, you know, getting their berries jingled or exploited for money. Um, and... Yeah, so great. You know, we're having those discussions and it felt important. But 20 years later and sitting through a sermon uh, from a pastor who's going through that, 
it just had all those memories flood back of what are we doing with our time? Is this really our Christian purpose? And is this is is this really how we're supposed to be spending our time as Christians? Arguing over, can I have an alcoholic drink? Can I have a glass of wine? When there's real pain around us. I mean, just down the street from us, less than a quarter mile from our church is a women's clinic. And not I don't say that in a derogatory fashion, but other than to highlight that there's a women's clinic, there's abortions going on. And, and I'm sure if you listen to Planned Parenthood, there's other things going on there as well. Um, but aside, even aside from the abortions, there are real women wrestling with very difficult choices less than a quarter mile from our church. And in the five years we've been members there, we've done nothing. Not once have we said, hey, maybe we should, you know, do something to see if some of those women want some counseling or if they need some comfort or some care. Um, you know, our church is right downtown and the homeless issue is is significant. Um, and and granted, we do we do a homeless dinner once a week, and where you know where we invite our homeless people to come and and have a free hot meal. Um, so we, are, we you know I guess that is something, but it, it's the exception. It almost feels like that's the obligatory thing. Like well. We are a Christian. We are Christians, and we are a church. So, I guess we kind of have to feed the homeless people once a week. I mean, you know, and it's like a big inconvenience, and it's sparsely attended by church members. And uh, I don't know. It, it's just—it's really a shame. It's really a shame. I guess is what I came away with from that sermon. And and like I said, it's the title of the podcast: "Making Mountains Out of Molehills in Order to Avoid the Actual Mountains." And I see that in my 21 years of being around the church in America, I've, I, I, that's a consistent thing that I've seen. We have been, I've worked in a non-denominational church, a, a non-denominational megachurch. I've worked in uh, an EV-free church. Um, we intended, we were members at a, what I call young, restless, and reformed church. Um, and since 2008 or so, we've been in the Presbyterian vein. And when I, when I look back on all those experiences, it's been a consistent theme. Make, pick, pick a topic that has little bearing on actually demonstrating Christian grace and love and mercy in the world, inflate it to astronomical proportions, and then beat the crap out of it and divide over it. And it just is... It's, it's so, it just is so backwards. It's such a, I think it's actually a tool not to go all, you know, charismatic TBN preacher on you. There's a devil behind everything. But I, I really am convinced it's a tool of, of Satan to prevent Christian love and mercy from being implemented in the world. Um, because it's almost like Christian red herrings, uh, straw men. You know, we, we want to avoid the actual hard mountains of caring for orphans, caring for widows, you know, trying to help prostitutes, 
really spending time and energy trying to show, associate with poor and, and lowly people in our communities. We really don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable. You know, they don't have any tithe dollars to give us. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, help perpetuate our reputation in seminary circles or get us on the Christian conference speaking tour. And it's just an inconvenience on our daily life. So in, instead of actually doing the hard, nitty-gritty, soul-sapping work of caring for these people in need, we create these fake issues, and I just got an email from Baseball in America. You know what? My kid hasn't played Little League in two years. He's now a basketball player. I've unsubscribed from your list multiple times. So I'm just going to hit delete. Delete. Gone. Uh, so we create these fake issues. We create these fake issues to make us feel good to give us something to spend our time on to make us feel like we're being uh, active and that we're stimulating each other to good works and we're contributing to the unity of the church. So, well, you know, brother, I'll just, I'll just, uh, you know, it's okay. You can have your glass of red wine with your steak and I guess, you know, I'll just pray for you and, and I'll pray for me that I have understanding. Are you freaking kidding me? Really, over a glass of red wine, while there's babies getting aborted a quarter mile from the church, there's 150 homeless guys meandering around the streets, there's people in our church that are having issues, poor people, uh, well, maybe not, maybe not in Presbyterian circles, I think in Presbyterian circles, in order to become a, uh, a member, I think you might have to disclose the dollar amount of your trust fund. Um, somehow we escaped that. We did, we weren't required to do that. Otherwise we would have been denied entrance. <laughs> oh, Presbyterians. I'm, I'm going to do a future podcast on, uh, the pros and cons of being a Presbyterian. Um, because there definitely are some pros, but the longer we're around it, there's definitely some cons. But you know, it's one of those things where, okay, well, do I take the pros of being a Presbyterian, which are many, uh, I shouldn't say being a Presbyterian. I'm not, I'm not, that's not my religion. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower who simply worships in the tradition of the Presbyterian vein of the church. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think I'd much rather take the pros of worshiping in that tradition versus selling my soul to the devil and, you know, attending a Stephen Furtick church or something, um, where at any moment, you know, you could be on the brink of having to choose between, you know, drinking some odd-looking Kool-Aid or being excommunicated to hell for the rest of your life. I, I think I'll take the stability of a couple hundred-year-old confessions and the stability of, uh, you know, documents that other saints... Uh, wrote and contributed to, and us just saying, hey, we're humble enough to accept that, yeah, these guys were onto something, and we don't need to create, reinvent the wheel here. Um, I'll take the stability of that over, you know, potentially dying in a mass suicide uh, set up with some of these uh, volatile fame whore pastorpreneur types. 
um, that quite honestly just scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, could you imagine going to Stephen Furtick's church with his, like, you never know if he's going to, like, roid rage on you. Is he going to put you in a full Nelson and choke you out on stage to, like, show the strength of the spirit? Like, that guy absolutely terrifies me. He's just got a wild, almost serial killer look in his eye. Like, he's going to snap one day and just, you have no idea what he's going to do. Like, is he going to sacrifice a cat on stage? Tear it in half to, you know, demonstrate the, uh, the strength of something, the violence of the gospel? I have no idea. But man, he scares me. He really does scare me. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of a more savvy, kind of slimy, diabolically calculating version of the, uh, what was it called? I think it was, I want to say it was called The Hour of Power, but I think that was that lame TV show with the Crystal Cathedral and old man Schuler. Schuler, Schmuler, Schmuler, Robert Schmuler, Robert Schuler, the perpetual uh, infinity smiling guy with the golden teeth or white, white pearly teeth. Like that guy, that guy perfected teeth whitening before it was even a thing. Like, I don't know what he did. Uh, maybe he slaughtered an elephant and put ivory tusks in his mouth. I have no idea. But that guy, I remember that guy in the nineties, like you'd get up on a Sunday morning before football came on. And this was before I was a Christian. And you turn that on and it would be, you know, the hour of power with Robert Schuler and his pearly whites. And it was like, dude, that guy's got some white teeth. It's the nineties. Like, even Hollywood stars in the 90s had some jacked up chiclets. I mean, go back and watch a 90s movie and when they smile, you're like, huh. And you're like, oh yeah, that's before cosmetic dentistry. That makes sense. Uh, like we were watching Mary Poppins the other night and Dick Van Dyke busted out a smile and my kids were like, oh, yikes. And I was like, dude, those were some good teeth in the 60s, man. Like, you know, they were clean. They were a little stained. I don't know if he was chewing tobacco in between songs, but something. Anyway, Hour of Power. It wasn't called the Hour of Power. It was called, oh man, I can't remember the name of it. They came through the the mega church non uh, the mega church non denominational church in the late nineties, and it was like a bunch of former, not even former, like failed WWE wrestlers, like guys that couldn't cut it. They couldn't get on TV with Hulk Hogan and The Rock. So they're like, hey, you know what? Let's become Christians and maybe we can make money that way. And so they, you know, shot up steroids in their tour bus and, you know, pumped insane amounts of iron. And then they'd show up on stage and they'd tear yellow pages in half. And for anyone who's listening who goes, what the heck is a yellow page? Well, back before the internet spoiled rotten millennials. Oh, everything's in my fingertips. What's a library? What's a yellow page? I don't understand. If I can't click it, then I'm lost. Um, become self-sufficient for crying out loud. Stink of millennials and their dependence on technology. It's like they lose their internet connection and they're, they're just done. Yellow Pages was the internet, basically. <laughs> Yellow Pages was the internet for your city, is what it was. So, you know how you go on and you click, like, Chinese food? And it brings back the nice little slick Google map with all these little pin drops of all the different Chinese places with reviews. And you go, eee, that has 2.1 out of 5. Let's avoid that place. Um, you just kind of rolled the dice. It was like crapshoot. It, like, it was like gambling. You would open up the phone book into the Chinese section and you'd go to restaurants. You'd look for R. You'd go to restaurants. And then under restaurants, it was broken down into the different types. So you had Arabic and 
uh, American and Mexican and Italian and blah, 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 and Chinese. And you'd find Chinese and they're just a list. And you just kind of go, hey, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll try this one. And, you know, you didn't know if they were like chopping up rats and throwing them in your chop suey or what. There was nothing. You had no reviews. And the only time you might have gotten a review is if, you know, six months later you were talking to somebody, a friend, and they were like, hey, where you been? They're like, oh, dude, I was in the emergency room because I got, you know, I got rabies eating this chop suey at this place that, you know, they were chopping up rats and throwing them in the soup. And you're like, holy crap, I ate there two months ago. You know, everything was fine. Maybe they boiled the rat a little bit longer. That's That was the equivalent of a Google review. Six months later, getting the rabies uh, story from your buddy that you hadn't seen because he was on the brink of death. Um, in ICU. And there were no cell phones, so he couldn't text you, he couldn't tweet you, he couldn't Instagram his deathbed picture. It was like, you know, it was, it was old school. He might have tried to page you, but what are you going to do? Your beeper goes off and you find a payphone? Um, anyway, where, where, where were we on this thing? Chief End, a, pod <laughs> a podcast supposedly about the chief end of man being humble. Um, and we're talking about rabie-ridden rats in uh, shady Chinese food restaurants. What what are, what were we talking about? Um, Hulk Hogan, failed wrestlers. Oh, so the Yellow Pages. Yeah, so it was the internet. That was basically the internet. So anything in your city, it was the internet for your city, but it was all printed. And it was like 1,200 pages. For big cities, sometimes they'd even come in two books. You had to get two books. They were so thick. Anyway, these, these failed um, WWE wrestlers um, would say, hey, we didn't cut it in the real world, so let's go be Christians and let's, uh, you know, make money doing this. So they'd roid up in their bus and then they'd come out on stage and they would pick up a yellow page book, which is thick. I mean, it's thick. Like imagine a, a super thick Bible, but without that flimsy Bible paper, like, like, uh, like almost like coloring book paper, sort of. And I guess it was a little bit more flimsy than that. Maybe it, maybe it was a, it was halfway in between Bible paper and coloring book paper, if that's descriptive and technical enough for you. <laughs> and they would they would like oil this guy up and put stage lights on him in the '90s, neon lights flashing, and they put on a you know Christian AC/DC track, and the guy would start grunting and screaming, and he would he would proceed to tear the yellow pages in half. Um, and then he would, you know, offer some poorly exegeted, uh, you know, hasty generalized logical leap between, you know, his ability to shoot steroids and, uh, you know, how the Holy Spirit strengthens you when you're weak or something like that. And then, so you had a bunch of skinny, pimply faced, uh, you know, high school students go running off going, yay! The Holy Spirit's going to make me like the Hulk. Woohoo! I guess that was the takeaway. Like, I never really understood the takeaway. <laughs> Other than at the end, it was there was always some, you know, hyped up, hey, if I could tear this, if you want me to see, if you want other people to see me tear a, tear a yellow page in half, then I'm going to pass the KFC bucket around and, you know, put in your hard-earned Sonic drive-in tips, kids. You got to contribute to the gospel. Um, I know you're working, you know, making $3 an hour at the Regal Cinema, putting butter on people's popcorn, but, you know, hey, the Lord deserves it, because I gotta keep shooting steroids. Probably a little jaded, but I don't, th maybe not so much, I don't know. 
they were really big. Their muscles were definitely abnormal. Definitely abnormal. But hey, the Holy Spirit gives you strength to tear phone books in half. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, if I, it's amazing. If I was God and it, praise the Lord, I'm not because, yeah, the, for infinity reasons. But I had a buddy who always, you know, he'd lick his thumb. I wish he could see me right now because I'm taking my thumb like a, like a New York kind of mafia guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at my thumb and I lick it, lick the tip of it. And then I turn it upside down and I, I squish it into the table like I'm killing an ant. Um, if I were God, that's what I would have done. Like probably like 10 minutes after the Garden of Eden, just lick the thumb. Yeah, we'll start over here because these people are, these people are, I mean, he could foresee roided up people coming out and exploiting their roided up muscles for the gospel. He could, he could foresee that. And yet he patiently bears with those naming the name of Christ. Like that's unbelievable to me. We should all fall on our knees and thank God for his abject mercy that he could foresee that coming down the pipeline. <laughs> he could foresee a poor man's Hulk Hogan in a unitard coming down with oiled up, sweaty, neon light muscles, somehow trying to relate that to the Holy Spirit giving us strength against the flesh. And he chose to persist and, and persevere and continue to pour out his mercy. Like, if, if that doesn't give you confidence in how merciful God is, I don't know what would. Holy smokes. Oh, man. Roided up internet um, yellow pages. So, yeah, that's kind of what Stephen Furtick reminds me of. So when I said that he's volatile and, you know, he might grab a stray cat and rip it in half, um, you know, and smear intestines all over the stage and do some sort of interpretive painting with its blood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, his biceps keep getting bigger. Maybe he's trying to resurrect the WWE ministry. I have no idea. I think, and then on top of that, like on top of that, just to show you how much the shepherds have lost their way, um, and the shepherds have gotten blind, and you know, it's like the you know blind dogs leading a bunch of sickly rabied other dogs around. Uh, I, I met with the, this was several years ago. This was probably five years ago. Um, we took a a, a brief interim um, in our Presbyterian journey. Because I, at the downturn of, or downturn, at the height of the Great Recession, um, fueled by bad monetary policy with the Federal Reserve, which is probably, I should probably start another podcast for all these tangents. <laughs> um, I took a job, a brief stint, as it were, uh, as, a, as a director of digital media at a United Methodist Church. And yeah, it was a brief stint. It was a fun gig. I mean, you know, it was kind of right up my alley doing doing web work and design and social media and designing things and redoing the website and blah, blah, blah. Um, stuff I'd been doing for years, just doing it for a salary instead of, um, you know, waiting for delinquent clients to get out of chapter 11 bankruptcy in order to pay me. Uh, so I took it and it was like, Hey, you know, Hey, I need this, you know, working, the economy stinks. Uh, 
the neighbor two doors down was the associate pastor at the church. I thought I read through their doctrinal statements. I said, eh, you know, it's it's a little Arminian for me, but I can I can crank out web. I can I can sling some code for some Arminians. It's not going to be the end of the world. Until one day they announced that homosexuals um, were quote equally faithful brothers in in Christ. They were equally faithful disciples, and I quickly slammed on the brakes and gave the family buzzer feud X out and told them that I could not in good conscience promote that theology through continuing to market the church online. So I bounced. Um, where were we? United Methodists. Why was I going here? Some stint with the United Methodists. I have no idea what I was talking about. Brief stint in between Presbyterianism. Oh, so it was in between there. So it was Methodist time, and then it was no longer Methodist time seven months later. And I was like, well, you know, I think I might just be done with church entirely because just, you know, give me a break. The the, the previous Presbyterian church we were at, the pastor retired, and granted it was old. I mean, there's a reason they call them the chosen frozen. I mean, they're, you know, Presbyterians, you know, this this congregation was old. It was old. Like, no joke, a guy, and I, I don't say this as a joke, this is absolutely serious, and I'll try not to laugh, um, a dude actually died on the way home from church riding his, like, his old man scooter, um, his old man wheelchair, like his, uh, what are they, they run commercials for him, like, if you have Medicaid, you can get the hover, oh, the hover round, yeah, he actually died on the way home after Sunday service on his hover round. Um, so it was an old church, like elderly, old elderly loving saints, the sweetest people ever. But after the pastor retired, we get a call and the associate says, hey, um, we are, you know, we've talked about it as leaders and we really don't feel like the Lord's calling us to have a children's ministry anymore because your family is the only one with children. And we looked around and we were like, oh yeah, everybody else has children, but they're all like grandparents. So um, that really doesn't work. Uh, so that was right before, then, you know, then the Methodist thing opened. And I was like, well, you know, I'll go work as a, at, a, at a Methodist church and we'll, we'll attend. I'm working there, why not attend? And then they dropped the equally faithful disciple bomb on us and my conscience would not allow me to continue. So I quit the next day and... It was like, okay, you know, what are we going to do? I'm so sick and tired of church, like, just disgusted with it. And there was a young, restless, and reformed church um, up the street from the Methodist church. And our experience with young, restless, reformed church out west before we moved to the east coast was a good one. I mean, it was great. We were, we, we were involved with the church there for... Uh, a good five years before we moved east, and it was a good experience. So I thought, well, you know, it's Young Restless and Reform. Let's go give it a try. So went over there, and, you know, they were quoting reformers and reform faith, and, you know, they were putting emphasis on trusting God over trusting yourself or trusting them, which was good. So they're like, well, you know, we, we, can, we can feel this out. Let's give it a try. So we ended up being there for about three months, and the impetus for ceasing continuation with that church was twofold. One, uh, one Sunday morning, we were in the back, sort of the, sort of the back left of the little chapel that they were meeting in. 
And one of the two founding pastors gets up and he kind of walks to the back and behind us. And I was like, what? I don't like it when people are behind me. Like it makes me nervous. I get shifty when people are behind me. I feel like they're going to like, you know, try to attack me or do something. I just don't like it. Um, which is why everywhere I go, I tend to sit in the back so that I can, you know, there's, I don't, I don't like people behind me. Uh, maybe I need to see a psychologist for that, but I get a little jumpy when people are behind me. So I'm turning around looking like, you know, kind of discreetly to make him think that I'm not a total psycho. So I'm just kind of looking over my shoulder. He's pulling out his cell phone and he's taking a picture of me and my wife and our four children. And I thought this SOB, pardon my non-Christian language, is trying to use my family to promote and market his church. And I guarantee right now he's going on his social media feed and he's saying something about the Lord continues to build his church, hashtag PTL, hashtag humbled, hashtag blah, blah, blah. So I pulled out my phone. I went onto the church's Instagram page and bam, there was a silhouette of our family with his, those hashtags. And I said, uh-uh, no. This, we're having a conference, conversation here. So service ended. You know, he went up there and rambled and, you know, pleaded and whatever he did. And so after the service, I went up and I said, hey, you know, let's, uh, can you go to lunch sometime? Love to chat with you. So we met for lunch that week and I brought that up. I said, I just told him point blank. I said, look, man, I said, I understand that you're under pressure from your big organization that sent you out to turn this into a business. Like I get that that corporate headquarters sent you out to start a franchise and they're expecting certain returns on this franchise in a very limited amount of time. And I know that they're busting your balls and I know that you're gripping and filled with anxiety and man pleasing. I get this. I get all of it because I've seen it a hundred times. But don't use my family as marketing fodder to help please corporate headquarters. Like I didn't sign up for that. I'm not part of your brand. I'm not a brand enthusiast for your Young, Restless, and Reform gig down here. And he got really defensive. Oh, you know, hey, you know, it's we want to visibly show that, you know, God's calling people to church. And I said, not my family. I said, don't visibly show that you're, you're taking credit for my family coming here. Not going to happen. We're not going to have that, so don't ever do that again. And then... So at that point, I was like, you know what? We'll let bygones be bygones, if anybody even knows what that phrase means anymore. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll just let love cover a multitude of, of uh, marketing sins and, you know, brand building sins. And we'll just continue. It's no big deal. But then he, he goes off on this, out of nowhere, he goes off on this thing about, oh, well, you know, there's a lot we can glean from Stephen Furtick. And I said, what? What are you talking about? He was like, well, you know, theology, he might be a little off, but you know, the way he markets and, you know, the way he did that 24-hour video-a-thon of the Sunstand Still book and, you know, the way he's uh, relevant and has multi-site, you know, there's a lot of stuff we can glean from him. And I said, hey, dude, that's cool, but um, you can glean all you want from him. We're gone because I'm not gleaning one stinking ounce of nonsense from Stephen Furtick. Maybe the other if he shared his bicep workout with me. Um, because, dude, those guns are, they're attractive. Like, no wonder people go to that church. Probably ladies go there just to check out his guns, especially if their husband's kind of doughy. You know, like all these millennials are doughy with their beards and their flannel and their beer drinking, and they're just doughy. So they get home, they take off their flannel. What are they doing, sitting around drinking craft beer watching their football team with their beard and their flabby arms of course they're one gonna of course the wives are going to want to go to go to whatever that church is called and see his glistening guns 
I mean, not not to be well. Maybe I shouldn't even. Maybe I should put the brakes on this. But it would be the equivalent, as as I understand, um, some comments that that I've heard from women talking about how a bulging bicep is is attractive to them. I think it's the it's like man cleavage, but in you know not actual man boobs. Um, but it's the equivalent. It'd be like going to a church and having the pastor who. Uh, the visual of Joyce Meyer letting him breathe just makes me want to yak, but huh, delete. Anyway, you get the idea. Uh, if he share, <laughs> oh man, now I'm remembering a Luther quote that says, not only are you responsible for what you should say, you're also responsible for what you shouldn't say. So maybe I shouldn't have brought up the topic of Joyce Meyer and cleavage in the same sentence. <laughs> Dry heaves. Dry heaves happening right now. Okay, so if Stephen Furtick shared his workout plan with me, I might glean it, but other than that, I'm not going to glean anything, especially as it relates to church. So we we were done. We were done. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I think I might just start a home church. Like, we might just go old school, like, pilgrim style and pretend that we're, you know, living out, we, we're doing part of the land rush, and we're just homesteading in Oklahoma somewhere, and it's just our family, and a fence and a rifle. Um and buffalo stampedes every now and then, and we're just going to do home church. We'll just open up the catechism, we'll open up the scripture, we'll read, we'll pray, and that'll be it. And then somehow, I don't even remember how, I, I found out, um, maybe my in-laws, my in-laws were going, their church, they said, hey, we, somebody at our church just did a, a missions thing at a Presbyterian church, which happened to be a half, a quarter mile down the street the other way, from the Methodist church. So it's like church row right there. You've got the Methodist church and then a quarter mile north, you had the young, restless and reformed. And then a quarter mile south, you had the, the Presbyterian church. So they were like, Hey, our, some friends at our church just did a missions thing at that Presbyterian church and they liked it. So maybe you want to go check it out. So I went on a Sunday in July, 2012. And it's like, Hey, wow, they actually are preaching the word. They're not self promoting. Um, there was not a call to, you know, double down on their brand. No one was snapping selfies of me and my kids and posting them on their, their Instagram feed. So it was, it was disarming. Um, so we've been there ever since the, the July of 2012, which is going on five, a little over five years. Um, so yeah, that's all that to say there, there needs to be a future prod podcast on the pros and cons of being a Presbyterian. Um, but what did I start this thing with? Molehills, Oh man, the microphone cord is like choking me out right now. Stephen Furtick is behind me. Help! Um, okay, there we go. That's better. Um, I've, I've been toying around with microphones to make the audio better because there's nothing worse than getting tinnitus while listening to a podcast. Um, so I actually kind of barricaded myself in a makeshift soundproof room. A bunch of fluffy pillows around me. Uh, some down blankets hanging on the wall. <laughs> Because it's the last one I've recorded in my office. And I was like, why on earth is there constant buzzing in the background? It's driving me insane. So I'm hoping this is a little bit better. I did a test one, two, three um, prior and it worked. Sounded better. And I'm going to throw this thing into Adobe Premiere and do the auto podcast uh, background noise softening. Um, so yeah, hopefully the microphone's making this thing a little bit more listenable too. Uh, 
So making mountains out of molehills, I would challenge you at your church, encourage you at your church to speak up when those mountains, fake mountains, are being made because they are made in order to uh, avoid, prevent us from actually tackling and climbing the actual mountains, the real mountains, the mountains of, of abortion, the mountains of... Um, who's texting me now? Man, you know what? I, I can't stand all of this iCloud stuff. Like, I continue to try to turn off all the iCloud because they want to perpetually keep everything synced, and I don't care. When I'm on my laptop, I don't want stupid text messages coming in. That's why I silence my phone, Apple. And I haven't been able to figure out how to do this. I hate iCloud. It's the worst thing on the face of the earth. No, it's not. It's it's right behind Stephen Furtick. Um, Stephen Furtick, then iCloud. Two worst things on the face of the earth, right there. Um, <laughs> and if you go to Stephen Furtick's church, please don't send me hate mail. Like, I don't want a pipe bomb in the mail. I don't want to... I don't want a dismembered cat showing up on my front porch, okay? So please just, you know, let love cover a multitude of podcasting offenses and move on with your your Kool-Aid drinking. Um, I, I'm not interfering with that. Drink away. Drink drink it to the dregs. Drink that Kool-Aid to the dregs, as the Puritans would say. <laughs> so, at your church, um, assuming it's somewhat orthodox... Uh, voice. I would I would encourage you to have the the tact and the courage, the humility, um, to speak up, and to say, "Hey, is this an actual mountain? Like, is having a glass of red wine with dinner an actual mountain when there's real life pain and suffering and death happening around us, real life heartbreak happening around us? Um, you know, is having drums on stage, is that really a mountain? Um, is, you know, having an electric guitar or the type of worship or, you know, are these things actual mountains? Um, you know, because we, we make so many issues out of non-issues and all they do is they consume all of our time in order to uh, it, it prevents us from focusing on real substantive Christian mercy is my is the position of this podcast. And I probably bookended it with a bunch of uh, verbal fodder in the middle. Uh, but that's really the point of this podcast is to identify the non-issues that are becoming issues um, that prevent us from actually demonstrating Christian mercy and love on actual issues. Um, so ponder that in your own life, ponder that at your church, and, and pray for wisdom and courage to, um, to voice that. Because if we're able to get past all of these minor things, imagine how effective, and imagine, I, I'm, I refuse to use the word unleash, so I'm not going to, because I hate it with a passion. The next person who tells me that the church's potential is going to be unleashed, like I just want to scream. Um, imagine the if, if Christians around America began to stop wasting time on non-issues and began to dedicate their mental faculties, their financial resources, 
their time resources to demonstrating and enacting Christian love and mercy on real issues. Um, what James says is true religion, taking care of the orphans and the widows and being unstained from the world. Uh, pick up an Old Testament and, and underline all of the times in Jeremiah and Ezekiel that either God's people are chastised for not associating with the low and the poor or encouraged to show mercy to the poor and the needy. Uh, and you'll be amazed how many underlines you make. I mean, it's a consistent thread, a consistent theme throughout Scripture that God associates with. His heart is towards the poor and the needy and the outcast. And his heart is against the proud and the, the boasters in the worldly. I mean, why do you think First John says, the threefold love of the world or the threefold attributes of the world are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It, that, that absolutely gets at the antithesis of being poor and being needy. Um, a friend of mine, a, a really encouraging story. It's so easy to focus on the, the negative stories and make fun of them because they're just so rampant. Like you could pick any famous pastor, preneur person, and you'd have, you know, 10 hours worth of podcast material. Um, and it's kind of fun. It makes me laugh to do that. But a positive story, my friend who attends a Presbyterian church up in the Northeast told me a really great story. Um, he said they went to this uh, this meeting of a, of a abortion counseling, abortion prevention um, group of Christians in, in his city up there in the Northeast. And he said that they're, they, they presented this stat and they said $1,000 um, saves a baby. And they have all these metrics and stuff that they you know tracked over the last 20 years of doing this that on average, $1,000 um, will prevent an abortion and not just prevent an abortion, but they also have a system set up to care for the mom, care for the child, care for the infant. Um, you know, place it in adoption, find a home for it, um, if the mom chooses to keep it, to support the mom and the baby. Um, so very, very encouraging. So my friend went and he said, you know what, instead of writing a thousand dollar check to my church, he goes, I, I, I took this month and I wrote a thousand dollar check to this, to this organization. And I told our family, you know what, um, next time we want to, you know, all go out for Frappuccinos or the next time we all want to go out and, you know, grab quick carry out. And we're not going to do that. And we're going to add it up and say, hey, you know, that's a thousand bucks over the course of a few months, maybe several months for some people, maybe a couple years for some people that can go towards saving a baby. And I, I was very encouraged by that story. And I thought, what a practical way to, you know, not get caught up in, well, you know, what's the, and I've, I've, I've even forgotten what all of the theological terms are for all these things. But there's so, especially in Presbyterianism, there's so many just nerdball, cheeseball Presbyterian terms that get argued. Nobody cares. Outside of seminary circles, nobody cares. Outside of Presbyterian academia, nobody cares. Nobody cares what Van Til's position on XYZ was. Nobody cares. It doesn't, it doesn't have any bearing on babies getting aborted. Um, 
And of course, I already know, because I've heard it a million times, the elders are going to come back and they're going to say, well, of course it matters. What you think on all these details, you know, plays itself out. And I get it. I get it. But to spend 95% of your time on it is wrong. So I was encouraged by that. Uh, and the other thing that really jumped out at me, they, they had a, a guy speak who was a very, very wealthy businessman. and what he has been doing uh, the last several years is he has been in their community going and finding where these abortion clinics are set up in these strip malls in different places. And he's going to, he's finding out who the building owner is. And when that abortion clinic's lease is set to renew, he is going in and he's essentially buying out their lease. He's offering the owner of the building double and triple what the abortion clinic can afford um, to be in that strip mall and he's essentially buying out their lease. And I thought, dude, that is a stinking awesome way to use your money, um, to enact positive, uh, pro-life Christian mercy, uh, things in this world and, you know, send your hate mail to, I don't care at this podcast.com. Um, if you're a pro-choice person who, you know, thinks that's the meanest thing in the world. Um, but I love it. It's free market. Um, it is, it's just a great, great approach. So we're at 45 minutes, so I'm going to stop rambling, but that would be my encouragement. Um, don't make mountains out of molehills in order to avoid the actual mountains. Don't do it at church. Don't do it in your life. Uh, don't do it in your ministry circles. And when you see it happening, pray that the Lord would give you grace and the appropriate words to voice those concerns and then pray for grace that the Lord will give you zero expectations that what you're saying will be heard. Because <laughs> most people, especially church leaders, will look at you and say, they'll either just flat out ignore you or they'll say, you're not contributing to the peace and purity of the church. Why are you so cantankerous? So you just kind of have to laugh it off and go drink a couple glasses of red wine. Have a wonderful day and look forward to chatting with y'all. Y'all, you can tell I've been living on the Southeast Coast for a while. Chatting with y'all next week. I didn't get to any questions, um, but that's okay. Uh, we'll do questions next time. Send those questions. Um, actually, I'll post the uh, chiefend.org. Send them to, uh, you can just send them to podcast at chiefend.org. Podcast at chiefend.org. P-O-D-C-A-S-T at chiefend.org, dot O-R-G. All of that said in my uh, best Christian radio voice. And if you send a donation of $10 or more, you'll receive my a free copy of my latest book, How to Podcast and Make Fun of Stephen Furtick. Peace.